love. Because you know what? The more we know and stand in the presence of the glory of God and, and, and the goodness of God, that goodness begins to become who we are out of the depths of our heart. It changes us and transforms us. Now, there's awesome power in goodness. Had an example of that yesterday. As we rode in procession to the Abraham Lincoln Cemetery for, in, in honoring uh, Paul and Corrine's son, Paul, he was a veteran, as I said a few moments ago. We started down here at Markiewicz Funeral Home at the end of State Street, and then we took State Street all the way to Archer, and then Archer down to Division and over to Briggs, and then I forget where we were, but it took us about an hour to get down to Abraham uh, Lincoln Cemetery. And it was one of the most powerful things I have ever been part of in my life. It was led by 100 or so roaring Harleys honoring Paul. There was the procession of all the cars coming behind that. And then lining the streets all the way through Lamont, down through Lockport, and and even on in through some of those other villages. There were people on both sides of the street. Some of them were standing there with their hearts like this in, in great respect. Some of them who were veterans, I suppose, they were standing there saluting as the procession went by. There were kids there waving flags. There, there were people cheering. And then I even noticed uh, there were people in the opposite lane. Instead of just go, driving on by, a lot of them stopped. They jumped out of their cars and they saluted. I mean, it was a powerful thing. I, one of the uh, rough, tough Harley drivers, after we got down to the cemetery, came up to me and said, I bawled my eyes out the whole trip down here. And he wasn't the only one. Everyone was choked up. It was, there, it was a profound experience. And you know what that was? It was the beauty and the power of good, of goodness. And where, where did that goodness come from? Well, it came out of people that were lining those streets. But where did that goodness in the people come from? We know that all, every trace, every ounce of goodness that's ever expressed on this planet, it comes from God because that's who God is. God is infinitely good. But that experience we had of goodness yesterday, it, it, it was, ref, it was a, an indirect experience of God's goodness because it was flowing through people. And that was wonderful. Here's what I want you to imagine this morning. Imagine a direct, one-on-one, one-person, straight-to-God expression, experience of the goodness of God. Well, that's what Moses was asking for. God, it's you and it's just me. And Lord God, I want you to show me your glory. Now, today, I need that to go on in my life. And God did it. And it was so powerful that God had to take measures to protect Moses. Verse number 21 says this. God spoke to Moses and he said, There is a place near me where you can stand on a rock, Moses, and when my glory passes by, I'm going to put you back in a cleft of that rock. And I'm going to cover you with my hand 
until I've passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. And then in verse 20, God had said, You cannot see my face, Moses, for no one can see me directly full on for all that I am and live to tell about it. His glory is too awesome. So, in this experience, God did not reveal all of the depths of his glory and his goodness to Moses. God was still reserving some for the future, and he was still reserving most of it for heaven. That's when it's really going to shine. And we know what we're going to do in heaven someday. We're going to fall flat on our faces when we behold the glory of the everlasting, ever-living, mighty God. We'll be on our faces. And a lot of times when that glory was experienced here in this world, people were on their faces too. So what he did was he took, what, he, God, what God did for Moses in this experience was he just took him to a deeper place in relationship with him than he had ever been before. And this experience of more of God's glory just whetted Moses' appetite for the next experience of God's glory. And you know what? When you read the life of Moses, that's the, that's the way his life went. From glory to glory glory to glory to glory. That was the key to the man Moses in the scripture and to the man he became in serving God. So let's take this and apply this to we who are followers of Jesus today, the people of God today. We don't have time to read this whole paragraph right now, but later it'd be a good thing to do. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 18, the Apostle Paul refers to the experiences Moses had of God's glory as an example of what the very definition of spiritual growth is for a follower of Christ today. He condenses it in, in, in the 18th verse, chapter 3, verse 18. Paul says that spiritual growth for a Christian is, is the process of being transformed into the image of Christ from glory to glory. From one experience of the glory of God to the next experience of the glory of God to the next experience of the glory of God and we keep going deeper and deeper and deeper. And we keep getting changed and transformed the deeper we go and experience the glory of God. Now, as I said, that's the way it was for Moses. Take a quick, let's take a quick survey. It all started for Moses at that burning bush out in the desert. And you know what? He was, Moses was in a place right there where he thought God had completely forgotten about him. He was on the, what the scripture says, the backside of a desert. But God doesn't forget about people. And he doesn't forget about you. And I don't know if you're on the backside of a desert today or whether you feel forgotten and totally insignificant in your life. I don't know. But I do know one person that considers you to be absolutely significant and that's God. He created you for his glory, to, to have a relationship with you. So God came to Moses on the backside of the desert. And there was that bush, and it was burning like crazy. Moses saw it, he went over to take a look at it, and he got amazed because that bush would not burn up. All of a sudden, God speaks from the bush and says, Moses, take your shoes off. You are on holy ground. 
And then God begins to reveal himself, his nature, his name, to Moses. And that's Moses' first first encounter with, direct encounter with God. But then Moses, he wanted more. He didn't stop there. And so we come to Moses at Mount Sinai. And this time it goes even deeper. Moses is up on Mount Sinai for 40 days, and that cloud of God's glory surrounds him for 40 days. And in that 40 days, God just reveals so much more of himself, gives him the Ten Commandments, so much more of what is contained in this book. Moses got it in those 40 days from God as God revealed his heart to him. That wasn't enough for Moses. So you know what Moses did? As the people of Israel began to move around through the desert there uh, toward the promised land, he built what was called the tent of meeting or the meeting tent that was located just outside the camp. And every day, Moses went out to that camp. And when the people did, they were so fascinated by this, it says people would stand at their tent door and watch Moses go into that tent where the glory, the cloud of God's glory was in that tent. Moses would go in there and the Bible says it was like he had face-to-face conversations with God. He kept going deeper and deeper and deeper. So Moses did not live a static, stale, burnt-out, routine, sleepy, same-old, same-old, flat-lined, dead kind of life with God. He didn't just have a core set of cold, dead beliefs. He says, oh yeah, I know God's there, and I know he loves me, I know that, and I know that the Bible's true, and I know this and this, and I, you know, and I go to the, you know, I worship him in the tabernacle all the time, and I do all my duties as a, as a, as a man of God. That isn't the kind of faith Moses lived, not a dead, drab routine. Now, <laughs> that doesn't mean Moses had a better roses either. Just because he experienced the glory of God doesn't mean that he lived heaven on earth. He did not. Moses had great struggles. He even had a few weaknesses. You know what he did with the first Ten Commandments, tablet of stone God etched with his own finger? He came down, saw the people of God rebelling at the foot of the mountain. They made a golden calf. You know what Moses did? His temper got the best of him, and he smashed the Ten Commandments that God wrote with his own finger. He smashed them to smithereens. Was God done with him that day? (laughs) No. You have flaws. I have flaws. We mess up. Is is God done with you? No. You know what what the cure for flaws is? Another experience of his glory. Get up up and start growing. Move forward. Don't, Don't stay back. Don't keep laying down. Dormant in your spiritual life. Move forward. Go forward. God's leading you and guiding you. So Moses didn't have a better rose. He had issues, he had problems. But the one thing he teaches us that is to keep desiring more and more and more and more and even more of God. None of us can live without that. This is the direction God intends for our faith to take. More to more to more to more of God. Now that does not mean, I'm not saying this morning, that you're going to go out of here today and into your backyard and one of your bushes is going to be burning <laughs> and God's going to speak to you out of that bush. It doesn't mean he's going to lead you to Colorado Rockies and come down in a cloud, okay? Not saying that today because in those days before Jesus came, God most often revealed his glory 
in more external kinds of ways. That's how God did it then. But when Jesus came, he took it a little bit deeper. Every person that receives Jesus Christ, the same mighty God that was in that bush, the same mighty God that was in the cloud on the mountain, that same mighty God in the tent of meeting, you know where he goes? He goes into his temple. You. Romans 8, 16, God's spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He's alive inside of us. Galatians chapter 4, verse 6 says, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart. Why? So that living within you, the very spirit and presence of God can make you or can lead you from glory to glory to glory to greater depths to new heights in God. So I have a question, a probing question this morning to throw out there. Not only out there, but I, I have to evaluate my own life by this question. Here it is. There are only two directions our experience, our experience of God can be going. One, we are experiencing more and more and more and more of God. Or two, we are experiencing less and less and less and less of God. Which direction today is your life going? Is my life going? Now, as Christians, let's remind ourselves that the very reason Jesus died and rose again was to open up the way for any person, no matter who or what they are, where they've been, what they've done, to have a life of experiencing his presence. This is what Jesus meant when he made that great defining statement, I am the way. The way to what? I am the truth. The truth about what? I am the life. Well, what kind of a life? A second-hand experience of God? A second-hand knowledge of God? That's not even good news. Jesus came to bring good news, great news, mighty news. The good news is, he says it in the next phrase, that no one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus came to bring you and me to the Father, not indirectly, directly, you and God, through Christ, knowing him personally, knowing him more today than you did yesterday and more next year than you do today. That's the normal Christian life that he's called us to live. God doesn't want to be this cold, distant, absent father. He wants to be the father of all fathers. What, what is a good father? A father who, who loves his children is someone who wants to open up his heart to his kids. He isn't going to pull in his heart from his children. He is the father of fathers. He wants to open his heart to you and you and you and you and me day by day by day. In a few moments, we're going to be reenacting the Last Supper. Doing what Jesus did with his disciples that night before he died. That's what we call communion. And the whole point of Jesus' death and his resurrection is to bring us to the Father, close up and personal. 
And so as we wrap this up, if you're here this morning, you are searching this whole Christianity thing. Here's a question I hope you have. How do I get in on this encounter with God thing? How do I get in on that? Here's the answer to that. It begins by placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. By believing that his death was him taking the blame for all of the sins in your life that separate you from a sinless God. I hope it sinks in. I hope we understand that our sins separate us from a sinless God. God is sinless. He can't just pretend we haven't sinned. If he does that, he's less than purely good himself. He has to deal with our sins. He found a way to do that. He sent his son to the cross who took the blame for your sins and mine, and then he took the judgment for our sins so that he could open up a way of forgiveness for us if we will come and put our faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that if you're here today and you've never, ever done that before, I pray that you will do that where you're seated right now. Jesus, I receive you. I thank you for dying that cross. I I invite you into my life. He will come and you will begin. You will have your first direct personal encounter with the God who is really, really there. Really there. And then for us who are Christ followers, there is only one prayer, there is only one basic desire in your life and mine that will keep us on track, keep us growing and going forward in our faith. And that's this prayer of Moses. God, show me your glory. So the challenge for us is, let this be your basic prayer that you pray every morning, at noon, in the afternoon, during the night, except when you're sleeping. (laughs) As you have times alone with God, and as you're going about your day's work, even in the midst of the frustrations of it, in the up and good times of your life when everything has fallen into place and life is good. Keep saying, Lord, show me your glory. Show me more of your glory. And also in the down and hard times when it seems like all of the wheels of your life have fallen off the wagon. What's your prayer during those days? God Show me your glory, even in the middle of this mess. Show me your glory. And so as we come to this sacred moment of communion this morning, I know that the Lord wants to make his presence known to us as we approach communion over these next few moments. He wants this to be a holy, holy place filled with the experience of his presence. He doesn't want our coming to communion to be some sort of a formality, a a ceremony that we go through. But he wants us to come with our hearts set on him and what this communion service means to him. You know, we don't come to communion mainly for ourselves. We come to communion mainly because of Jesus, because of God. This is a moment when we 
set aside. We're going to tell him from the depths of our hearts how much we love him, how grateful we are that he paid the price for our everlasting redemption and to heal our lives and to heal our families. That's what this is all about. It's for him to bring him glory and honor and praise. And as we come this morning, we have this promise from the Apostle James. If we will draw near to God, he will draw near to us. So I'm going to invite us to stand right now. And just before we come to communion, I would like us to pray a prayer together. I'd like you to just follow me. I'll I'll break this up sort of phrase by phrase. It's a very short prayer. But I pray we can tune everything, everything else in this planet out of our brains right now, out of our hearts, except one thing. Let's pray this. Follow me in this prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to your table, show us your glory. Show us your goodness. Help us to know you deeper than we ever have before. Thank you for the sacrifice of your Son that has opened up the way for us to encounter you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen.